<laughs> it's very tiny. This is this is for the Love of Film podcast. This is the inaugural episode of the For the Love of Mixtapes. Um, yeah, that's so pretentious. Matt is a uh, Matt is guffawing to himself as a uh, there's a tiny tiny person making uh, making noises over there and uh, three dogs milling about. So basically, the idea behind this was like. Um, because I tend to talk about music a lot. Well, I tend to think about music quite a bit, and then I talk to other people about it, and I was like, I have different connections to different people with, like, different artists. And I just thought it would be kind of cool to... Do you mean different emotional connections or professional or personal connections? Yes. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, So, uh, I thought this would be interesting, because I was thinking about... I've this is actually the thirtieth year that we've known each other, which is pretty crazy because I moved to Exeter yeah. in nineteen eighty-eight. Yeah, I was um, twelve. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which actually it bears sort of foreshadowing. It bears reference and, and relevance to what we're talking about. I thought it might for me. Um, uh, and it was also it was kind of the year that I first really became aware of YouTube. Oh yeah, this episode's on YouTube, by the way. <laughs> um, Spoiler. Yeah. Uh, it was it was the year that Rattle and Hum came out, and we used to, like, we, I don't know, do you remember my family had that black and tan, like, touring van? It had, like, yeah, yeah seats. Oh it had God. the two captain's chairs behind the driver's seats, and then a bench in the back, and we used to take road trips all the time. And Rattle and Hum was one of the fixtures. Of, it was Rattle and Hum and then Peter, Paul, and Mary 10 years together. Um, and then Sticks. Sticks. I knew it. I knew yeah. it. So, but I didn't, I didn't, uh, I mean, maybe if, maybe when I go to Europe and visit T, we can do a top, top 10 Sticks song. Sticks was, Sticks was always playing at your house. Yeah. Yeah. It, it never hooked me. Well, it, it's so weird because like, you know, growing up religious, we were not allowed to listen to secular music. music. Yeah, but Sticks and U2 were the exception. I mean, I know a lot of people will argue about U2 being a Christian band, but they've never... I mean... I argue they're more of a spiritual band than a... a sure, you know, sure. Christian. Christian band, yeah. It, it also bears relevance to my list. Sure. Um, so basically, like, the idea for this was, like, if... if I mean... I don't remember if you and I ever exchanged mixtapes, but I mean, we exchanged. We did not. We exchanged tape. I mean, you gave me REM's Green. Uh, did I? Yeah, because because what a great album. When I first asked you about this, and I don't think I even told you the premise, I just said, I think I asked if you were a bigger U2, U2 fan or REM. or REM, and I figured it was U2, but I always, I think. The reason I even got into REM, just as mm-hmm. an aside, I don't know if it's applicable, but is Green, uh, the first time I saw it on the shelves, I thought it was R-E regarding M. Green. That's interesting. And I was like, oh, they spelled my last name wrong. Yeah, but, very, uh, very uh, narcissistic of you. They're yeah. like, wow, finally someone's... <laughs> about time. <laughs> some, finally someone made an album about something worthwhile. <laughs> that was... Um, 
My favorite thing about that album, well, not my favorite thing. One of the things that I love about that album that I didn't notice at first was the first pressing of it had, uh, if you held it up to the light, the R in REM and the R in green had a number four um, that was, it wasn't uh, like they were glossy or that was the one part of the cover that wasn't glossy, I guess. So if you flicked it in the light, you could see the number four. And I've read dis- descriptions because it's not their fourth album. No, um, I, I I don't remember what it was, and it was you know because Michael Stipe was explaining it was you know understandably cryptid as always. Yeah. But um, that was that was also one of the first albums that I remember that had an untitled song, song number eleven. The you know this world is big, and, uh, but anyway, so you responded to me and said, "No, I hate." R.E.M. Let's not talk False. about R.E.M. False. False. We could go down that track with just that album. Yeah. Um, I mean, and it's funny because, and I mean, we could we could always do a follow-up R.E.M. episode. I've got, um, I've got like three or four people that I know who are like, not only passionate about music, but I have uh, like a specific relationship with an artist with them that I'm going to do couple episodes with here and there but it was just sort of uh you know i thought this would be a kind of this would since since u2 was sort of my gateway into discovering music on my own i thought this would be kind of a cool way i mean very much so for me as well it was they were introduced to me by my family but they were the first of like musical things that uh are all your dogs black and white that's you are actually colorblind. It's awkward like they're to actually, find out. Yep. Yeah, it's weird that you find it that way. Well, that one's got some brown on her, too. Yeah. And one David Bowie eye. Is she? Is she? She. she, she is she blind in that eye? No. no. Just stupid. Just just very goth. <laughs> um, just moody. So, uh, I figured the way we would do this, we would go back and forth. We would each uh, um, talk about our pick you know because i i said i said to you could you pick your top five favorite u2s and it was tough because i was like for me i was like oh this will be easy and then i was just not i started with the first album i'm like well i can pick like three off this album it's not easy at all even october which i think is one of their weakest albums albums. yeah a great album not a not a great u2 album album. yeah Yeah. although i do like the title track quite a Mm bit um Uh, refugee yeah or is that war I'm getting blown. I think no. I think Refugee is on more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is is that uh, is that your phone? No, that's that's laundry. One of my many loads of laundry today. Interesting. Now I'm noticing the jack o' lantern uh, cut out over there with a mustache. Is that supposed to be you? No. I, funny story. That uh, this is this is great audio for people who it is yeah. great great visual. Um, that's actually. The jack-o'-lantern's mouth. Oh, okay. And then a smiley face was affixed later? I th- threw that on there because I thought it, he said it was scaring him. Fair, fair enough. Uh, so I put that on there. So, so it's the safety. Yeah. Um, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Uh, well, I mean, I, I guess I can go first. All right. Uh, well, for, for me, I think a little exposition might be in order. And you were talking about. And we'll just go back and forth one song at a time. You don't want me to talk about exposition? <laughs> 
No, you can talk about expert. No, no, I was just saying. I feel like very controlled right now. So you don't. Like, so you don't feel like you have to do all five right in a row. For your at home listeners, there's a look of panic on my face right now. Uh, there's also a there's also a very sweeping mustache. Yeah, it's awesome. It's terrible. So uh, yeah, thirty years ago, I had a one of those yellow Sony Walkmans. Yeah, with a fold over. Yeah, with a clip. Yeah, yeah. snapping clip and you know catches your fingers and and uh, very rugged, I, super rugged. Yeah, God, if you could make a phone like that, did it have the auto reverse? No, it wasn't it wasn't that awesome. But I had, I had that was a gift. Obviously, I was twelve; I couldn't buy anything. And then I had been given the Top Gun soundtrack. Okay, and I had been given what's on there besides Kenny Loggins. It's, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. It's pretty much it. <laughs> oh, uh, Take My Breath Away by Berlin. Right, Berlin. Okay. So I had that, and then I had been why given... Are you wet? That's they directed were, towards the dog, not Matt. Well, it's, I know why he's it's, wet. It's blended. It's both. Yeah. I had a uh, been given a copy of Aerosmith Pump. Right? Yep. So, and then I met you, and not surprisingly, or surprisingly, or probably not within the confines of this podcast that's sort of where my linear memory begins right everything before that is kind of you know there's a handful of i mean we're not going to talk about this isn't a childhood trauma podcast who says it isn't well it may be germane to some Mm -hmm. of our picks but anyway and then you and i exchanged where are you going stay here yeah get back here you're a baby you're not even wearing the same matching shoes so you and i traded yeah and you traded me YouTube Boy for Aerosmith Pump. Huh. And I remember getting Pump. I just didn't remember that. That's that what I trade ruined your life. It, no, I've often thought, like, what would happen if we never made that trade? You know, what if I... I'd be sitting on that side of the table with a horrible mustache. And, <laughs> and you, all the You'd be sitting on this side with no hair. It could be. Yeah. I mean, just, just musically and just, like, the little choices and the branches and... and uh, I, crosses my mind a lot what would happen if right you know a if i had never met you and b if we had never traded those particular albums but um youtube boy then became the first music that i chose yeah you know for me even though chose through a trade but it was a choice right you know i aerosmith pump is gross (laughs) (laughs) i was huge in aerosmith for like four years and i cannot stand them now. thank god you were because otherwise, yeah. I might be an Aerosmith person. Right. Yeah. Oh, man. It's so funny because I remember distinctly, like, sophomore year in high school, asking for the Aerosmith Pandora's Box box set and being all excited for that because it was wow. three cassettes Holy of yeah. garbage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it was funny because at that point, I didn't have any reference with Aer- – like, Pump was my intro, intro to um, Aerosmith – and I mean, my first CD down the line, because I ended up rebuying it on CD. But uh, so I didn't know that Aerosmith had, you know, at that point had a 20 year or almost 20 year history. Now it's, I think, 200 years they've been. 60,000, yeah. something like that. Yeah. And uh, so the Pandora's box is all their Columbia years. So it was years before. And, you know, a lot of people would argue when they were much better. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, it's all relative. Um, but yeah. Unidentifiable I, schmutz. I don't know what she just handed me. I don't know if it's vomit or feces or 
Why can't it be both? It, I guess it technically could. Yeah, I spent about 10 minutes last night. My 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 dog has weepy eyes and it turns into this like black tar uh, if you don't clean it off all the time. Yep. And because I'm me, I don't clean it off all the time. Yeah, so I gave her a bath last night and then I spent about 10 minutes with a damp paper towel pulling it out. And it was just like, oh. But then I had I had some on my hand and I didn't realize it like a piece like you know like maybe a centimeter and a half no and I went no. wiped my own eye no. <laughs> I was like oh what's no. all crunchy you know? yeah, yeah yeah you speckled your eye with, yeah. with dog eye goop <laughs> so you were saying oh, so son of a bitch that's gross exposition for yeah yeah so there's the backstory rather long-winded but uh so I think my just because of the and no other reason other than the way the tracks were laid out I will follow would sure. probably be mine. Yeah. Because that was the first music that I chose. It was the first song on the first album. And it's kind of the beginning of their story. I mean, they had that three song EP beforehand, but you know, neither one of we us heard that for for years. Um uh yeah, that was one of the things that uh I I mean that was, you know, when I first like I was saying, going through the discography, I was like, oh, that's such a pivotal it really is it's such a pivotal one. But the, the entire album was almost perfectly designed to kind of speak to me as a twelve-year-old. Yeah, you know, angst-ridden, uh, you know, abuse, uh, neglect, all those themes running through, and just powerlessness. And then it just it it hit me. Yeah, it hit me hard. It's interesting. Um, one of the things that because I didn't know at the time that the cover to the United States version was like like that album cover is totally different. Everywhere else in the world, huh. uh, I mean, it, and now they've reverted to the original cover, but because the cover was that is that blurry black and white photo of the four guys, yeah, yeah. But it's the it's just the photo of the boy who two years later was on the cover of War, but with the you know the yeah the wound. the wound on his lip to show that they had matured. But the record label at the time was worried that people would think there was pedophilic. Undertones in the United States. They so. had to wait until many albums later to really embrace that. Right? Yeah. Oh God, the the, the <laughs> so song of Innocence cover. So uncomfortable. Which I get why there were, uh, um, why they went with that image. I mean, for those of you not familiar, well, first of all, if you're not familiar with that, why are you listening to a podcast yeah. about you two? You're, you're you're like 25 minutes too far into the yeah. Wrong, wrong but lane. yeah, it's yeah, it's it's Larry Mullen Jr. and his uh, his son embracing. But it's an it's a really awkward embrace. But yeah. I guess since we're talking about that album, I'll go with my first choice because I'm not necessarily going in order. But mine is off of that album, which is Raised by Wolves, mm. um, which is. Musically, one of their darkest songs, but it's, I mean, lyrically, it's also, I mean, that whole album is about them growing up, uh, you know, their adolescence in, in Dublin, but that one just, um, there's a, there's a rawness to that, that they really haven't had in their music in, Definitely. you know, 30 years. Yeah. And, um, I don't know, there's, there's, there's a, there's a passion in Bono's voice in that. And I mean, I really like that album. It's too bad that that album will forever be kind of like married with how it was marketed where everyone had it on their, their iPhone all of a sudden, you know, and, and forced down people's, <coughs> but it, I mean, I was stoked for that. I was like, oh, well, it was funny. I mean, I remember when it happened and, uh, 
my d- dad didn't understand why people were upset about it because he was like, doesn't everyone love you too? I'm like, no, oddly enough. Uh, yeah. Not now, anyway. Well, it's it's such a weird thing because, I mean, when we were in junior high and high school, they were one of the biggest bands on the planet. I mean, they still are, but... what Now, which, which album, speaking of that whole kind of release process, yeah. uh, which album was it that came free with a Walkman? I seem to remember... With a Walkman? Yeah. Hmm. I seem to remember... Because uh... when, when that... That album came up, showed up, you know, iTunes and all that. Uh, I remember thinking, like, wow, isn't that funny? It's a lot like the promotion back in the day. It might have been, was it like a cassette Walkman or a Discman? I think it was. That I'm not sure about. Um, But it was one of those, and for, you know, again, for those listening who don't know what we're talking about, when that album, when Songs of Innocence was released, and I believe it was 2014 now. Um, it was automatic. Anyone who had an Apple device, uh, it was automatically uploaded to your account, and a lot of people were upset about it. So much so that they had to create an app for people to easily just delete it from their phone. Um, but I mean, I know a lot of people who are very vocal about their dislike of you too. Um, do you have to? Do you have to attend to? Uh, I, I can change a diaper here. Yeah. You, you keep going. Uh, okay. Um, I just. I mean, there are plenty of bands that I don't like. That I don't. Uh, I don't feel the need to pontificate. You know, so verbally about it. Like, there's a lot of people that just hate you too. Sure. And it's, and 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 I think specifically hate Bono. Um, and it's weird because yes, they're a very earnest band and a lot of, that's a lot, what a lot of people don't like about them. And most people that I know who sound off about him, they're like, Oh, he's doing all this activism and he's so, you know, and I'm like, okay, so he's, whether or not you agree with him, he's trying to make a difference in the world and is actually putting his, you know, his money where his mouth is, so to Wait, speak. Literally. Yeah. And I mean, you know, he was one of the co-founders of the red campaign, which, uh, you know, has given millions of dollars in AIDS relief. And, you know, he, he was very, you know, active in trying to eliminate third world debt. And, you know, and the response from a lot of people is, Oh, what an asshole. And you're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can't believe that guy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I think I, I don't know. I think maybe it's, it's I don't know. I think some people feel that they come off as self righteous, which I never really got about that band. Earnest for sure, and um, maybe dramatic for sure. You know, um, that's, that's some might say overly dramatic, but you know, whatever. That's I mean, I think musicals are overly dramatic, and those are huge right no. now. Do not get me started. Oh, man. It's, I, I, I can't I'm, do it. No. I mean. I, I think it's some sort of a failure of my imagination. I can't suspend my disbelief. Yeah. Start bursting into song. I, 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 I think it is a safe assumption to say that neither one of us are going to have anything from the Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark soundtrack on this list. Although, Fair. technically not you, too. Right. Uh, which, I was thinking about. Uh, oh, God. Because I was even thinking about doing a B-side or two on my list, but. Ooh. But one of my favorite U2 B-sides is not actually U2. It's, Bo- it's just Bono and the Edge, which is their 
song that Alex descends into hell for a bottle of oh, milk. Oh, wow, yeah, no. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that didn't, uh, that didn't make the, didn't make the cut. But anyways, so what's your number two? Well. Or, num- not, or your second one. I mean, I gotta. I don't know if you're going in order at all, chronologically. I, I, I guess I kind of had a, like a whole linear story in my head that's not necessarily. That I keep breaking up. You do. Um, Race by Wolves, though. That's a that's a crossover. I'm gonna have to revert to a backup. Yeah, it's gonna bump me off. Oh, so that was on yours as that well. That was one of my fives. Right. That was probably the most recent. Okay. Of theirs was on my list. Um, after I experienced boy, I did not, for whatever reason, I think probably just the time that we were in, uh, the next album I heard by them was Joshua Tree. Mm-hmm. I think me too. Yeah, I didn't hear. There was no October. There's no war. Um, no unforgettable fire. No. Which, which that was one of the last of their kind of classic albums that I ever heard. Um, I don't know why it slipped through the cracks, but yeah, it took me a while to get to Unforgettable Fire. And what an album! Yeah. Holy cow. Um. So for me, and Joshua Tree is just is just full. I mean, so full. But one that sticks out. In my mind, and I've got—I feel like I've got a, like a real emotional connection, and each one of those songs puts me somewhere very, very particular. Um, but it's so tough. It's so tough. Yeah, <laughs> it really is because yeah. I don't—you know—I don't want to say. Uh, okay. Say it. I'm just gonna say "Running to Standstill." Okay. I'm just gonna say it. It's a great song. God damn it, Trip Through Your Wires is so good. I mean, that whole album is fantastic. I mean, so I, I think, I mean, I, I think it's their best album. Uh, Mothers of the Disappeared. I mean, like, I mean, the whole thing is, I mean, it's a solid piece of work from beginning to end, and it's of of their entire catalog. You know, from the opening, you know like very cinematic build of where the streets have no names. Uh, it's just, you know, I don't know why I'm going there and going off, but yeah, it's, it's such a great album. And that was the one that, so we had the tape of rattle and hum. So that was in the car, but my dad had the CD and this was back when not everyone had CDs. My father spent a lot of money on a home CD player and we had the Joshua tree. So that got played. Just yeah, you actually, you guys were the first CD player that I experienced. Really? Yeah. It was like some kind of weird witchcraft device. Well, it was weird because it was the size of a Discman, but it wasn't a portable CD right. player. And it was attached to our, you know, our home stereo. But I remember, because it was like a very extravagant purchase that my father made at the time. I mean, it was, you know, it was like three or four hundred dollars. Um, and... Most of the CD collection in my family house at the time was classical, uh, but yeah, that was one of the ones that got played a lot. Um, yeah, Running to Stand Still hit me, and I had been listening to that album for for years, um, probably s- since shortly after you we did that trade, maybe yeah. a year or two after, or whatever. And uh, it, a lot of them, it took even a decade later before they cemented into a memory and into an experience and had like, I had an emotional connection, even though I liked the album from the beginning. Right. Um, Running to Stand still hit me 
and grabbed me right when I was starting to, to drink alcohol. You know, right when I began sort of my descent into alcoholism. Yeah. And it, you know, obviously based on its subject matter, it, it spoke to me pretty, yeah. pretty deeply, pretty efficiently. Yeah. And uh, I just got me chills. Like even thinking about it now, I get like goosebumps. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, they did the um, 30th anniversary tour last year yeah. and they played it. Did you see it? Did you I didn't go? see it. It was, it was too expensive. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like... I don't know if I'll ever see you two again. Um, yeah. I saw them on the Elevation tour, but that was because I was given tickets. Yeah, uh, it's a nice gift. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was great. PJ Harvey opened for them, nice. <coughs> and they've always had really top quality, uh, interesting choices for openers. I mean, I know yeah. uh, the Pixies opened for them on one tour. Maybe Public I Enemy. To see the Pixies last oh, really? Time. Yeah. I would, yeah, that's kind of the, I my feeling on the Pixies is it's not the Pixies without Kim Deal, right? So, well, that's fair. Yeah, um, and uh, you know, and I think some bands can change members and it not be, you know, it still have the crux of the band. But I think Kim Deal, her voice and her bass playing are such a yeah integral part of the sound of the Pixies. So plus, Angie and I are old, and it was very loud. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm older than you. It's, it, yeah, Not it's much. Uh, six months older than you, and like I don't know, like four or five years older than your wife, something like that. That does make sense. How many years younger than you is she? She Jeez. probably doesn't want us talking about this. We, we, it's like, wow, nice, <laughs> yeah. nice catch, yeah. nice catch. But that yeah. math, we'll just say that math doesn't yeah. add up. Okay. Um, but yeah, they said on that tour that that was the first time in 25 years that they had played Running to Stand Still live. And a couple of the songs on there, they had never played live. Um, so I, I wanted to see it, but I'm also kind of like, I mean, that's one of the few albums I, I think I would have enjoyed seeing. It's become a trend in the last decade where bands will play an album from start to finish. Yeah, uh, And while I can appreciate it. I mean, so many bands are doing it now and I'm like, come on, that album's not that classic, but also it, part of the, I don't know, for me, part of the excitement of a live show is, Oh, what's going to follow this? And like thematic, you know, like how are they tying the songs together? Thematic. What sort of mood and event is this going to create? Right. Whereas if it's an album, you you already know. And it's whether or not you intend to do it, I think your brain at some point goes on autopilot. Yeah. Uh, you know, unless they do a, a, a vastly different arrangement and then usually you're annoyed that they're not playing your favorite song the way you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, did you have any other thoughts on running to standstill? Uh, I mean, plenty, but most of it's just sort of an evocative emotional connection. Sure. It kind of just, it kicked me right in the spiritual nut. So to speak. Hi. Hi. She's like, why are you guys talking so much? Bye. Are you are you dismissing me already? Why She's like, sh- I've had enough of your visit. Um, well, I guess I'll. No, you go for three. What do you got? I'm just up for two. You're on your second. Yeah. Wow. We could be here. We could be here a while. Um, <laughs> uh, so I'll do my second is from the Joshua Tree as well, oh, God. which is One Tree Hill. Yeah. Um, oh. That's one of the ones that they said that they had never played previous yeah. to the 
anniversary tour, and it was, I think the guy's name is Greg Carroll, that they wrote it specifically for a friend's uh, funeral, who was, he was Australian, and he had actually lived on a, on a place in the outback called One Tree yeah. Hill, and, um, but it's... Did they sort of, I don't know if this story is accurate, or I'm just crossing my wires, did, did they, did he kind of inadvertently get kind of murdered by you two? Um, Can you swap bikes with the... I think so, yeah. the one? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Um, That's horrible to say. Well, yeah, but I mean, it was like, what's his name? Who, the guy who flipped for the, for the, the plane. The plane trip, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, and that's, I mean, that was, uh, I, that was really my first memory of a song, uh, being written as like a tribute to someone and kind of immortalizing someone in a song. Yeah. Um, which I, which I thought was very powerful. I mean, and obviously there were songs that I was familiar with at the time that are also tributes to people that I didn't realize, but that was really my first kind of exposure to that sort of sentiment. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's always had this, overwhelming feeling to it and then kind of the the coda which is all acapella which was something that i had never heard in a rock and roll song yeah before too so yeah yeah um bf for your number three jesus uh number three and again these are no particular order i think yeah i think that i, I mean maybe just chronologically how they occurred for me um I'd have to say bad. Sure. Yeah. Bad. Now, the, now is it the album version or the Wide Awake in America version? Ah, <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> I know. I just, I, because that was kind of, in the United States. Damn you. Yeah. In the United States, that was the, the Wide Awake in America EP, which was only released in the United yeah. States, but that was sort of because. God damn, Three Sunrises is such a good song. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. What's the other? Is it is it forty that's on there? No, yeah, no, forty's on. Uh, oh my god! Old. No, it's it's another version of "In the Name of Love," I think, yeah. on there because it's two live songs and two studio. two studio songs because they were the yeah. "Unforgettable Fire" B sides. But you two hadn't. I don't think they'd really released commercial singles in the U.S. or had very little success. Yeah. And this was sort of a push following the. Uh, Following their performance at, uh, wait, am I getting that right? It was Wide Awake in America before? No, that was, it was Under Blood Red Sky was after Unforgettable Fire. Wide Awake in America was before. Ah oh, man, no. is that true? <laughs> if I, only, yes, my friend Googs. If only we could get. Online. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny because I just looked at it. You know, two days ago too, but uh, okay. there's a tiny little ghost wrapped up in the curtains right now. Bad sort of homecoming and three sunrises. Sort of a homecoming, yeah. Um, which is a, which is another great album opener. Yeah, uh, God, so good. But I don't think I, I I honestly don't think I heard Unforgettable Fire until Octoon Baby. Until really? after that, yeah. So it was kind of a weird like. Because it's kind of, I mean, it certainly, 
set the stage musically for Joshua Tree. Uh, yeah, very strongly. Yeah. Uh, I, do I really have to choose? No, you don't have to choose. I was just curious if you had a preference. But. Uh, I mean, they're both so good. And I, you know, like anything, I have sort of different feelings about both. I, if I had to say, I'd say the, the Wide Awake America. Yeah. If I had to choose one. But I could, I'd rather just be general. Right. The song itself. I can count on less than one hand how many times I've heard that song on the radio. For whatever yeah. reason, but I, of the two U two shows I, w- I went to, they played it each time. You know, mm-hmm. which was for me like ah. I know, know it was always like a live favorite, but yeah, it's never. It's like it's definitely never been on any of their hits compilations. Yeah. I don't think it was ever released as a single. Um, no. but it's yeah, it's one of those. It's a really strong, and. Uh, hey! Oh my God! There's so much noise in this house. Why are you, what are you doing to the dog? <laughs> the dogs are playing, oh, is it hooked on a dew claw? Uh, yeah, okay. actually, let me, I can count it on less than one hand. Bard College in 1995. Yeah. I heard bad, and I heard it in 2002 on the river. Yeah. Or it might have been, might have been a little later, 93-7, when they, they played everything. Right? Yeah. They played everything. It was. I remember my brother T talking about Bad, and me genuinely asking him. I was like, "Wait, you two recorded that Michael Jackson song?" And he's like, "No." And I was like, "But he must have loved that." Yeah. Well, he like I didn't get the concept that there could be more than one song with the same name. Yeah. Like um, it's illegal. Yeah. Um, especially with such a small. You know, three-letter word. It, it's inevitable. Uh, but uh, is this going to be just very interesting to listen to with a two-year-old just babbling yeah. constantly well, in the background? She can be the. Um, she's sounding off. She's she's the voice of the non-U2 fans giving her yeah. opinions on get that album. Paul Houston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Murphy, is that what you think of U2? just running around making high-pitched noises. This is what I do all the day, by the way. This is it. Well, hey. If I'm not at work, my two days a week, it's this. Uh, I don't think all my other, all my picks are going to be about addiction, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, sort, you're, you, you know. Sort of a theme. Sure. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know for the longest time that that was a, specifically about heroin addiction. Yeah, uh, but, I didn't either for... Probably the first decade I was listening to it, and then it came to light and or came to my awareness, and I was not at all surprised. Yeah, that I enjoyed it so much. Just, yeah, you know. that's a great song. So good. Uh, um, speak uh, now. I actually had to cut that off. I was going to say one of the songs that was interesting that was like that was released as a single, but has subsequently never been on any YouTube greatest hits album, and they've kind of. They've kind of like shied away from it is the fly, which is weird because, you know, and that was, that was one of my, that was one of my picks initially. And I had to, uh, had to be dropped. I'm trying to decide because now, because so far you haven't touched on, eh, I, I know which ones I'll leave off. So unless, what, which uh, ones I've left off so new, many, 
No, no, no. I have so I have seven on here, but two of them has, have asterisks. They're they're basically the safeties in case you say one of the ones I picked. So, um, this one since I had asked you specifically the EP or the, the yeah. So mine my next one <laughs> is right yeah I know, uh, and this one is probably <laughs> the most most obvious. Uh, Scribbling something. Yeah, like I'm just. I, uh, I couldn't but, get it if it was so, right side up. So my. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so my pick would be Sunday Bloody Sunday, but specifically the Rattle and Hunt yep. version. Yep. And which was interesting because I didn't hear it for a couple years because it's not on the Rattle and Hum album. Interestingly, yeah. Um, and and I'm not quite sure what I mean. They talk about it in the film why they they're like we're not sure this should be in the film, which obviously it's in the film. Um, but it's not on the album, uh, which Rattle and Hum was a weird album because it's, I think it's the longest U2 CD, um, cause it's got 17 tracks. It's got, you know, it's got a couple, it's a journey. Yes. It's definitely a journey. It's a mix of live and studio tracks, but that one didn't, didn't make it on there. And I, years ago when I had a standalone CD burner, I actually, synced up my DVD with that and I actually made a full oh. Rattle and Hum soundtrack which is just under two hours long so bad. there's about there's about be great for road trips oh it's, it, that's yeah that's 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 what I listen to a lot I, I have a lot of live DVDs that I would burn on the CD to listen to Rattle and Hum is one of my favorite road trips it's so great but yeah there's like because Gloria is on there and yeah. uh I'm trying to remember what else. But even some of the studio tracks, when they show them recording them, are different versions than the ones that made it on the final one. But subtle differences. Specifically, I mean, I didn't really... I mean, Sunday Bloody Sunday is one of their most well-known songs, obviously, particularly from the early era. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, But it's... uh, Do you say you don't know it? (laughs) Not familiar. Um, But that one was... The day that they recorded it, was there was a there was a bombing uh, in a town called Inniskillen where uh, it was a bunch of veterans had been bombed. Right, parade, right? It was a veterans parade. Yeah, and pensioners, it, as you yeah, called them. Yeah, yeah and the, the, I mean, the, there's a like in the breakdown, which it's interesting listening to it now and kind of hearing because I don't think I think he probably gave the band some indication that he was going to say something, but I don't think they knew what he was going to say. Cause you can kind of hear the interplay between, um, uh, Adam and the edge and Larry's basically just keeping the beat being like, all right, I got to try and figure out when we're going to, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, Bono is giving his feelings on, Specifically, because it was they were playing in Arizona uh, that night, um, and giving his feelings on uh, Irish Americans who you know we talked about the the revolution, you know, but it was an IRA bombing that uh, specifically happened. But he was basically decrying the the revolution and you know talking about how you know the real effects of war. Um, and I think I'm pretty sure that was the first time, one of the few times I've ever heard Bono say the word "fuck." Yeah, is when he was talking about it, and because I remember uh, 
asking my parents about it. And I was like, how come he, how come he, that word well, well, no, I had obviously <laughs> heard the word before, but I remember he was very much like talked about how they were, you know, a spiritual slash Christian sure. band and, you know, what could make, you, you know, say and that? it was basically sometimes that you don't have any other, any other words, which, you know, I was like, Oh, okay. I'm going to use that excuse for the rest of my life. Yeah. But, but no, I mean, and it, but it, it's a very dramatic performance as well. I mean, even, you know, his voice, cracks when he's mm. shouting at the end and it's just you know that goes into the breakdown and then it as he's kind of talking and bringing the song back uh the edges backing vocals come in and it's just it, it kind of pulls it all back together and it's a very very powerful live performance mm. so yeah um but i in in a way i'm almost glad it's not on the album because you kind of have to seek it out to hear it. So it's right. almost like a special occasion. Matt just got punched in the face by a dog. This is what happens when you get big dogs. Yeah. Get out of here. Go down. Yeah. So yeah, that would be, it's a solid choice. I mean, I still, I still get choked up listening to it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's about a twice a year listen. And then, yeah. Too much. Mm-hmm. That's it for feeling for the year. Kind of thing. Uh, for that one. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, so you've got what's your number four? Uh, I'm gonna have to go to Octane Baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you smiling at? No, I'm just waiting you to see one. No, not from. I, I actually don't have one from Octane Baby. I had to. It's Oct- a. I mean, it's a great record, but it's almost like it's so solid that I mean, because I think that's their second best album. First um, being. The Joshua Tree. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that the songs almost, it, like if I had to pick one, I mean the obvious choice as far as a song that would sum the album up would be one. Okay. But I can't say that that's my favorite song on the album. I can say that that's my least favorite U2 song. Interesting. I don't know why. It's like nails on a chalkboard for me. I turned the channel. How do you feel <clears throat> about the automatic baby version? Have you ever, you've heard that, right? Yeah. Which is... Automatic Baby was a one-time, one-song performance. It was Michael Stipe and Mike Mills from R.E.M. performing with uh, uh, Larry Mullen Jr. and uh, why am I? Adam Clayton. Okay. I I could not think of the bass players. I almost said Dave Evans, which is the Edge's real name. But, yeah, I'm sure that they were... Busy working on their Spider-Man musical at the time. Did so. Lizzie ever tell you the story of meeting uh, Adam Clayton? Mm-mm. Yeah, she ran into him in Dublin, and he actually... Did he try and get her to smuggle cocaine for her? <laughs> he did not, but he gave her his number. Mm. And, you know, kind of... Lizzie is Matt's younger sister. Right. And, you know, I mean, the members of you 2 are about 15 years older than you and I. Right. So, yeah. So a good 20 years older than... Yeah. Than her, um, she was very excited about it. Yeah, and knew that she was being hit on. Right. How old was she at the time? She would have been 21, 22. Okay. You know, so old enough, I guess. <clears throat> but uh, you know, he introduced himself very, like, you know, very. Hey, you, you know, she's I'm just a guy, kind of thing. Gave her his number. Right. She probably lost it that day. <laughs> what could have been? What I know, could right? Have been? Yeah. We could have been having this discussion with the band. Right. Yeah. Thanks, Lizzie. A little round table. Yeah, way to go, Liz. Ruiner. Yeah. 
so so what's your song from Octoon Baby? I I'm kind of what, what would you think my song would be? Of Octoon Baby. This is this is I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm kind of pissed about the whole you know, when you made me choose bad. I know. Um trying to throw in your arms around the world. Ugh, such a good one. No. <laughs> no. Uh for me and it's so hard to pick one. So cruel. Oh God. Have you, so I, to digress for, have you ever heard the Octoon baby covered record that, uh, came out a couple and I'm, I'm certainly like cover records are a dodgy Mm -hmm. affair to begin with. And especially when they are a single album, but it's, so it's mostly peers and contemporaries, but there's a, there's amazing Depeche Mode covered "So Cruel" on there, and really? it's very minimal. Oh, it's it's I gorgeous. Like uh, Nine Inch Nails covered uh, uh, "Zoo Station" in a very like somber, mm. like not Nine Inch Nails. Really? Way. Yeah. I, well, yeah. I imagine they'd have to go in a different direction because it's yeah. not it wouldn't be that far of a break from them, right? Really? Yeah. 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 Uh, no, for me, Mysterious Ways. Okay. So I almost said that first, but I was like, that might be too obvious only because it was a single. Well, it, and I, it's it's almost begrudging for me um, because it is such a, a popular and such a well-known song. Um, not that I want to be that. But it is one of their best songs, I think. I, I love it. And between, honestly, between that song and Star Wars, they were the only things that broke through my self-absorbed nature and my my alcoholism really I yeah mean, we're back there again i guess but um to give me some sort of hint of a world larger than me a spiritual world hmm. that i could even it was even accessible to me you know and you know some of that was confused you know the subject nature of the song but um you know for me it it, it hit home hmm. it hit home in a very deep spiritual way sure you know because you were also living underground, eating Pretty, from a can, eating from a can, running away from what you don't yeah. understand. Yeah, love. Accurate. Yeah, it's a little too on the nose. Right. Well, that's kind of that's. I think that's a lot of people's problem with you too. Is they're oftentimes right on the nose. Yeah. But, you know. That's. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a good good choice. I like that one. All right. So, what I have left. Murphy, stop slamming doors. So. I mean, that was Mysterious Ways was a very much a, a break from, I mean, The Fly was a very distinct, and I think that was a smart choice for the first singing the from song the song. or the persona? The song. Okay, fair Because um, I enjoy the song much more than I enjoy the persona. Yeah, um, uh, I mean, it's, it's, I often quote the line, they say a secret is something you tell some one other person. So I'm telling you, shine. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's very dissonant. Um, that's this isn't my pick, by the way. I'm just I didn't think pontificating so. about. I feel it. like it was a possible pick. It was. It was. Oh, you yeah. Just said that. Right? Yeah, it was. But it was. Uh, but I was just talking about the like straying from the U2 sound because it it really signaled because they had kind of taken the the Joshua Tree sound as far as they could go. And I think they would have been repeating themselves if they had tried to continue that way. So they were like, it was sort of like the calling card of this is not the U2 that you're familiar with. And then Mysterious Ways was the second single from that, which is actually 
closer to the original U2 sound sure. than, than the fly, but is very different. Um, and I think it was smart to kind of like, it was sort of the, the, um, the sonic ginger, the palate cleanser, uh, that they, that they needed to kind of move forward. But so the, like an announcement. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So my pick, and this is, this is a weird song and I don't know that they've ever played this live. I mean, they might've, I haven't done any research, but, um, from all the like live recordings and live videos, and the one time I saw them, they definitely didn't play it, which is numb. Uh, uh, which was uh, another possible choice. Yeah, that. it's such a weird song. I mean, because it's basically one note. Yep, uh, which is great. Yeah, and it's. I mean, Damn. Yep. It, I loved it, and and there's only a few songs that the Edge sings, and I mean, he doesn't sing on that one. He's just talking. Just a dude talking. Yeah, um, but. I mean, I love Van Diemen's Land off of Rattle and Hum, uh, yeah. but a lot of people talk about how flat his voice is, which is, um, you know, he's not the lead vocalist in the band, but I... I, I he's not? No, he's not. Uh, <laughs> but I, I almost feel like Numb is him acknowledging what people think of his voice and kind of going... Along, yeah. Yeah, I it, can see that. I also love the falsetto backing vocals of Bono and yeah. Larry Mullen Jr., uh, which was the first time I had ever heard that I was aware that Larry was singing on a U2 song. Mm. Um, I also love the video where it's just the close up of his face and, you know, people are doing stuff to him and, you know, you know, yeah, basically molesting his face and they give him a haircut and, and, and the girl from the mysterious ways video makes a cameo yeah. dancing behind him. Uh, but yeah, whenever the, whenever the chorus comes in, Bono and Larry are just on either side of him singing into his ears. Yeah. It's such a weird, uncomfortable video. But yeah, it's it's such a Yeah. That's a great song. It's a great song. It's so weird. It's that's also I don't believe that's on any of their hits albums. No. Uh, it's it wouldn't would, be. No. I remember the first time I heard that, it was H E B or no, it was E R Z back in the day. And they said, We've got a song coming up where it's a new release from a you know, famous artists. Right. Want you to guess who it is? Oh, so they didn't say. Before. They didn't say it. And they played it, and I was listening to it with Randy. Yeah. And we were like, "Huh? No, no, not sure if we like it. It's a little weird. What is it? You know?" Yeah. And then they said it was you too. We like, what? We were absolutely gobsmacked. Yeah. Well, because that was the first single off of uh, uh, Zuropa. Mm-hmm. Um, I was drawing a blank because yeah. I kept wanting to say Zoo Station, but. Um, and that's a bold choice for a, for a single because it's really. I mean, it's it's further in on the album, and Bono doesn't. I mean, he sings on it, but very little. I mean, it's not, not so you like can pick him out. Yeah, like you were saying, it's not re- easily identifiable as a U two song. No, so I never would have guessed it. Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting enough because I think you could play most U two singles for people, even people that are casually aware of U two. They would, be and they're going to know it's U two. Sure, and. Yep. I think today, because it's been long enough, it's been 23, 24 years since that album came, <coughs> that you could play that and people would be like, I don't know who this is. Why would you? Because we're, we're old. It, really? That, well, Octune Baby was 91. Yeah. So my guess is Zuropa was uh, 92 or 93. Because it was they were it was on the Zoo Station tour that it came out. 93, July 5th. Yep. I remember because I was working at Camp Lincoln. When it came out, of course you were. Yeah, yeah, and that was also that was my that album's great too. 
It is. And that was because the, oh. the closing track, The Wanderer with Johnny yeah, Cash, that, that was, was like, song. that was, and I was like, oh, wait, Johnny Cash is cool? Yep. Like, because I had, I mean, because at that point in his career, he was washed up. Right. He was a has-been. It would, it would be another, I think, six years before Rick Rubin started working with him and kind of revived his career. But, yeah. So you, would you say that Zuropa was to Johnny Cash as... Pulp Fiction was to Travolta. <laughs> it could be, yeah. It certainly put him back on the map for a lot of people, and they're like, no, 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 this person has artistic worth. It definitely brought that. What are you doing? Attention. I was like, who the hell is this? Yeah. Uh, oh, some days are better than others. What a great, like, yeah. just fun song. Yeah. I mean. Lemon, lemon, lemon is a great song. Which, which far away, so close. To yeah, it. yeah. Uh, I mean, I love uh, Zoo Station or Zoo Ropa because it changes gears halfway yeah. through. You know, it's such a weird like. I mean, it's such a it's such it's a weird a, album. It's a beautiful opening song. Yeah, it's just I mean, just perfect. It's visual. Yeah, in its sound. Yeah, you know. Yeah, the doors opening. I mean, it's it's great. It's genius. Daddy's gonna pay for your crashed car. So good. Yeah, yeah. That's I. I definitely think that's an underrated album. There, there. There's only. I mean, there's only three U two albums, and I'll. There's there's three U two albums that stand out to me as being like duds, and even the duds have some songs that I don't. You know that I that I enjoy on yeah, there, but you're quantifying them as bad U two albums, not bad albums. Right, okay. um, pop would be one of them. I'm not a huge fan of pop, although I have friends who are big U two fans who love pop. There's yeah, there's there's some worth to pop, pop, and it definitely when it came out, it appealed to me. Yeah. I first heard that in an Irish pub, yeah, in Florence, yeah. Italy. Which I, I then got thrown out of. But. Mm. Um, well, I remember Discotech coming out, and it felt to me, I was like, this is you two saying to their audience, how far are you willing to follow us? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like a joke. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like, Staring at the Sun is still a good song, and, you know, but, but so there's that. How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb is kind of a tough record for me to... And, yeah. and again, there are good songs on it, but... And that's the... You know, that'll probably go down in history as, uh, you know, Bono saying, Uno, Dos, Tres, Catorce, which is <laughs> one, two, three, fourteen. Yeah, well, you know, it, it had been a while since he got the time of day wrong in Pride. Right. When Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Right. Murphy, hey. Hey. Hi. Could you stop playing with the curtains, please? She's like, I don't think that's going to happen. If you tear those down, mommy will murder me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then we'll murder. No Lines on the Horizon is the third one that I'm just kind of like, meh. Yeah. Meh. Um, so what's your number five? I, I mean, this is not a comprehensive list. This is this is a under duress. It's choose, going on the books. Choose five songs. Yeah. Um, Hawkins and 269. Okay. You know? Yeah. 
Another rattle and hum. Yeah, I mean, and again, I, I guess my whole list is about chemical dependency. Right. Really, is what we're doing. Not so surprising. Yeah. That was the song that for the longest time I didn't know the name of because, I mean, he does say Hawkmoon at one point, but it's, I mean, it's the one that, you know, I thought the name of the song was I Need Your Love for right. the longest time because that's the, Wouldn't you know, be a, outrageous. Yeah. Yeah. And then whenever I would look at the cassette case, I was like, "What is this Hawkmoon two six nine? Why am I not? Hmm. Why am I not thinking of that one?" But yeah, it doesn't immediately jump to, to mind connected with that title. Yeah. But uh, I I love that song. It's a strong song, and uh, like most of my relationship with the band or with their music, anyway, um, it really sums up a yearning, like wanting more, looking for more. Like yeah. Realizing that there's a world outside myself has been my relationship with you two. Yeah. You know, from being the first music I ever chose to to this song, you know, it's very much been a sort of spiritual awakening for me to be a fan of this band. Yeah, for sure. You know, and to even some of the things I would never have considered. You know, I, I doubt very much that I would have been seeking some of the things I sought on an emotional or spiritual level if we had never made that trade, you know, and I kept Aerosmith pump. Yeah, you'd be thinking about loving an elevator. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, I always thought of the last song on Rattle and Hum is like the counterpoint to Hawkman 269, which all I want is you, which is, which almost made my list as well. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's definitely one of my favorite U2 songs and definitely made it on quite a, quite a few mixtapes back in the day. Um, but such a good song too. Yeah. I mean, there's very, I mean, I can't think of any, out and out stinkers on Rattle and Hum. Hi. Oh, thank you. That's very nice of you. You want me to pretend to drink it now? We're, I mean, we're over 40, so we, we have to enjoy seltzer now. Right. Yeah. I, I do not. I, I, it's the law. I dismiss that uh Have you tried assertion. it since you were 40? Uh, I don't know if I have tried seltzer. I'm, I'm willing to bet you haven't. Because uh. once you turn 40... It's delicious. It's delightful. Uh, Very refreshing. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 the jeans get pulled up above the belly button. Yeah. Oh, man. And all the things that you thought were lame, you're like, no, that just makes good sense. Socks and sandals is comfortable and practical. Yeah. <laughs> so my last choice, which actually informed my musical selection for the ride over here today, um, is... Not necessarily an obvious choice, but it's uh, uh, kind of good to counterpoint to your one that wasn't necessarily an obvious choice, which is in a little while uh, uh, from uh, All You Can't Leave Behind, which I will forever think of as the Joey Ramone. Right. Song. Which is exactly why, because I've, I've got the Ramones playing in my car right now. And, uh, you know, it was a song that Bono wrote for his wife originally because she was a couple of years younger than him in school. And. He got teased by his friends that he was a he was a baby stealer, and uh, he's like, "It's just wait a little bit." Yeah, just wait a little <laughs> bit. And actually, you want to be talking to our bass player about that. Uh, but uh, you know, he's and I saw them on that tour, and it was not soon after Joey Ramone had passed away, mm. and because that 
famously that was the song that Joey Ramon was listening to when he died yeah. uh, in his hospital room and you know somebody made Bono aware of that and they so for the rest of the tour that they dedicated it to him but also they uh, uh, you know he said this used to be a love letter to my wife until Joey Ramon made it a gospel song yeah. which is interesting how Kind of, kind of going off everything that we've been talking about. This that context can inform your experience with a song, and even, even uh, someone who wrote the song they having different experience, yeah. th- the impact of it can change for them. I mean, another interesting thing uh, talking about both jo- Johnny Cash and Nine Inch Nails. Uh, you know, one of the last songs that pr- probably the biggest final song of Johnny Cash's career it was his cover of Nine Inch Nails Hurt mm. and Trent Reznor's talking about that said you know once I heard that he's like that song no longer belongs to me right. which was you know it's it's interesting that uh, context and you know, circumstance can change what a song means to you so true yeah and it can evolve over time I mean I remember first listening to Joshua Tree while riding my bike out to Brentwood right. in junior high school to visit a girlfriend, you know, and then ages later to have have a lot of those songs stir very like clearly for me feelings about my marriage, you know. Yeah, yeah. And just they didn't cement. It was like they were just floating around those songs until I found. <laughs> Getting a little mustache. Yeah, while while Matt is talking, his two year old is uh, inspecting his uh, mustache, and you got to rub harder if you want it to come off, Murphy. <laughs> Make a wish. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it took you know decades, and I I perhaps lacked the emotional range back then for those songs to cement or have any sort of like legitimate emotional connection. Sure. But yeah, that I love that story. I love that. Yeah, yeah. It's and then I mean. Going kind of like full circle to my first choice, it was, I mean, the first song on Songs of Experience is The the Miracle of Joey Ramone, which was... That's a great song. It's such a great song. Oh, and That was another that was another one I thought about, yeah. I, I remember I had to explain to my mom who Joey Ramone was when that song came, because he doesn't mention him yeah. by name at, at, at all in the song and just explaining, you know, the significance of him to the band, Um I also really like the fact that, um, I mean, it said a lot to me that that was the last song that Joey Ramone was listening to because, you know, many people will say that, you know, I mean, the Ramones are sort of the the quintessential punk rock band. Yeah. And uh, so whenever people talk about you 2 not being cool, I'm like, hey, Joey Ramone, like, you Joey too, Ramon, and you too. and you're not cooler than Joey Ramone. I'm he sorry. Them. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. <clears throat> what if you had? What, what song would you die to by you two? <laughs> by you two. Um, MLK in America. <laughs> What's the one with the 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 chicken? It's a B side. The trash trampoline and the party girl. That would be a good one. Uh, I don't know. It's funny because, and this is kind of like, it's sort of morbid, but not really. I mean, there's been a bunch of, 
the, so there were three deaths in my life in the space of 10 days, mm-hmm. a couple, but about two months ago. And, you know, one of them was a guy who's a musician and, you know, I'm going to a um, celebration of his, a concert celebration of his life in, nice. in a few weeks. But I thought about the, that, like, I was like, that's actually how this whole idea came about was, I was like, what would I pick as like, what songs would I want played at to like, celebrate you? yeah, like, and what would be the 10 songs that I would pick that would kind of encapsulate me? Um, yeah, uh, I was actually like, uh, I thought about it. I was like, I got to at some point, cause I have, I have like three or four that I know for sure, but I'm like. Once I get a list down, I was like, I should just like actually make like five CDs and like give them to different people. Be like, here, just in case, this is this is what's to be played. This, this is for my memorial. Yeah, my celebration. Yeah. Jesus. Huh. What if once you compile compile those lists or compile those things, you die? Yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah. You, know I mean? you never know. You never know. It's weird. I mean, because I just did. I just did, um, you know, six months ago, I did that journey around the country. Are you back from that? I mean, physically, yes. <laughs> I mean, and, and, you know, sort of joking, but also sort of not. I feel like I've, I've never fully returned, and I'm planning on hitting the road again uh, in the fall. But it was interesting because, well, I was telling you, I think it was before we started recording that a friend of mine has to put her dog down today. Yeah. and. I was thinking about the fact that I was like, I mean, because her, my, my dog, who's deaf, doesn't get along with a lot of other dogs, and my dog and her dog got along really well, and I was like, I didn't realize that was going to be the last time yeah. I saw her, but I mean, my uncle passed away a couple months ago, and the last time I saw him was on the trip, because I saw him on the trip as well, and there was a couple people that I was supposed to see when I came back from the trip who passed away while I was on the trip. And it was just one of those things that I was like, well, you never, you never know. Uh, I mean, I, uh, Caleb, the guy that the, the musical tribute is going to be for, I remember the last conversation that we had, which was at 3S Art Space in Portsmouth. And I never, like, it wouldn't have occurred to me that that was going to be the last time I ever talked to him. Right. I mean, and it was a great conversation, but you know, I mean, I think most times you talk to someone you don't, you're not like, you're not keenly aware that it's, unless someone is bedridden and, sure, and you have the, you know, but I'm all over their face, yeah. Right. But I also think that like, there's sort of a, a purity to not knowing and just, if it's someone that you have a great relationship with to just having a good conversation and that, you know, there's sort of an honesty to, okay, well, the last time we talked... We had a great chat. Everything was all on the table, and yeah. it was authentic, and we were both present. And there's now like five seltzer cans yeah. brought out. What is that? Blueberry flavored? This, bite your tongue. This is sparkling with the essence of fresh lemons. This is a. I forget what this one is. It's got those little berries. Blueberry, blueberry lemonade. Gross. It's pretty good. We've got strawberry lemonade, mango lemonade. Lemonade. You know what they are? These are a trick to get me to drink something close to water. Because otherwise I'll just drink coffee all day long. Yeah, but I don't think, well, there's water in coffee. I agree. I went two years with only drinking coffee and I didn't die. So I drink a lot of water, but I drink a lot of coffee too. So 
Um, Water's pretty bad. Not, ever, not a whole lot of flavor. I don't think we've ever tasted it, but it's it's kind of awful. <laughs> I don't I, actually. Water's kind of been my go-to beverage, like whenever I'm eating a meal or something like that. I don't usually That's like good. like uh, something flavored. Yeah, and even like that was the thing with 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 alcohol. I never understood the having a a glass of wine with your meal or whatever. Yeah, I, I mean, because to me, like eating and drinking are two separate. Sure. I mean, I mean, the purpose is very different. But I also think that, like, I, you know, uh, you know, obviously, both of us look at alcohol consumption in, in, in a different way than I think the general public does. One would hope. Yeah. <laughs> what's what school bus is coming home already? And surprise, it's an early release today. Uh. I just learned. <laughs> well, that's a. <laughs> That's a good point for us to stop then since the since the critters are coming home. But uh yeah, this was fun. Yeah.